Hi there, and welcome to the Rash Cast with Jake and John. I'm Jake. And I'm John. This is episode 50, amazingly, of the Rash Cast. We've we made, made... We, we defied all odds, and we made it this far. So. Yes, Pardon. with nothing stopping <clears throat> us from keeping on and trying another 50. Yes. Uh, so, uh, obviously, this is the end of the year. Today is December 28th, 2019. Uh, but, because it's December 28th, 2019, it's also the end of the decade. Uh, and just like every other podcast and you know blog and, and anyone who covers baseball and anyone who covers sports and anyone who covers anything anything at all in the world, uh, we're starting to think about you know the, the decade in review. Yeah. Sorry. Also, you know, nothing has happened in the last two weeks. Hey, um, with within the Nats news, um, there's been a lot of, of baseball news. Lots of you know the second tier of. Uh, starting pitching free agents, Ryu and Keuchel signing. But the Nats remain in a holding pattern with Josh Donaldson, a staring contest where it's clear they probably have the best offer out there, but Josh Donaldson is, is weighing his other options and still seems to want to go back to the Braves. So we're in a holding pattern. Uh, obviously, the Nats' offseason success, calling it a success, hinges on them signing Donaldson. Uh, but nothing's happening on that front, so uh, we got free time, and uh, it seems like this would be an ideal time to do a decade in review. Uh, it was a great decade for Nats baseball, though. It was the first full decade of the Nationals. Um, it came to 05. Now they're here from 2010 to 2019, and it's just really interesting to look at where they were in 2010 and where they are now. I mean, they finished couldn't have finished any better. Yeah, I mean, and this, you would have to say, is the best decade in Washington, D.C. baseball history since at least the 1920s, if not of all time. Uh, you know, obviously in the 1920s, the Nats won a World Series and went to another one uh, and had Walter Johnson, uh, the best pitcher, obviously, still in D.C. baseball history. But uh, this decade comes pretty close. Obviously, there weren't uh, chances to go to the playoffs as much then as there are now. Uh, plus, uh, you know, this decade does have the advantage, though, of being within living memory of basically anyone. Yeah. Uh, so I'd say that that earns it some extra points. Yeah. So the Nationals' final record for this decade is 879 and 740, which would be the fourth best record in baseball during that during this decade. Uh, behind the Yankees, the Dodgers, and the Cardinals. Um, of those teams, the Nationals are one of the two to have won a World Series. Um, Yankees not making one. Dodgers going to two and losing the both. Cardinals winning one. Um, going to another one in 2013. So, I mean, they it was a very, very successful decade for the team. It's an, an 88-win pace over the course of a season. Right. Uh, and obviously, that's, uh, you know... They have been over 80 wins for nine of the 10 years of that decade, uh, with only one, um, and obviously they went 80 and 81 in 2011, but only had one losing season outside of that. Uh, it has been a very consistent decade, uh, you know, first of sustained regular season success, and then this year, amazing postseason success. Uh, and I think it's worth taking a look back at each year of the decade and just talking about uh, sort of the interesting things that happened in each decade or in each year because, uh, I mean, obviously some of the years will get more forgotten than the others. Uh, obviously, with the Nats winning a World Series in 2019, there's going to be a lot of recency bias. And Johnny and I figured that if we did the top 10 games of this decade, probably five Maybe six of them would come from this year. Yeah, I think. At, yeah, at least six. I mean, I, we were talking about this yesterday. It would be like, you know, the Suzuki game from the regular season and like four playoff games. Yeah, so, you know, instead of doing that, instead of remembering the games that you all remember, I think it would be more fun to just go through each year of the decade and talk about it at least a little bit and talk about our favorite moment from that decade, that yeah. year. And there's a lot of stuff that happened in the early parts of the decade that, you know, you might have forgotten. Like the fact, let's start off with 2010. 
who led the team in wins that year? So, in 2010, the Nats were 69-93, and 93, their only season this decade, under 80 wins. Uh, they uh, were led in home runs by Adam Dunn. Big donkey. Uh, his last year with the team. And they were led in wins by a very vulturing Tyler Clifford, who led the team with 11. Uh, Levon Hernandez was their best starter that year. He finished with 10. Uh, and so, obviously, this is one of those years where there's a clear best moment, yeah. clear best game. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, it was kind of the start of the decade, really, for the Nats, right. and kind of what was to come. And we're yeah. obviously talking about that game where Danny Espinosa hit that two-home run game. Yeah, exactly. That was amazing. September call, after he's called up. Right. Um, Danny Espinosa was the future of the franchise. Yeah, yeah, and we all knew that from the uh-huh. moment, yeah. Uh, so yeah, Strasmus obviously is, is the answer here. Uh, and I think it's worth reflecting on, and we did it a lot, uh, in the Strasbourg re-signing episode, but reflecting on just how rare a moment in baseball history Strasmus was and just how unlikely it'll ever be to come again. Uh, so Steven Strasburg, you know, as he was coming up, his games were broadcast, minor league games were broadcast live on MLB Network, a team that was more abundant in the standings that really didn't have a whole bunch of national appeal, managed to get a sellout in the middle of June against a terrible Pirates team, managed to get wall-to-wall coverage from MLB Network, including broadcast by Bob Costas and Jim Cott, you know, MLB Network put the game on live. Uh, It was an event not just in the baseball universe, but it even extended to, you know, the pop culture universe after Strasburg managed to come out and not only live up to the hype, which was outrageous, just unlike any prospect we've ever seen or probably ever will see since. Uh, You know, he was on Letterman the next day. This is the kind of thing that, you know, a rare moment in baseball where you can actually transcend into the larger pop cultural discussion. That's the kind of thing that seems to only really be reserved right now for football and basketball. But uh, a random 21-year-old kid uh, from a team that didn't look like it was really, you know, going anywhere that year, at least in the next couple... Uh, the fact that it that he managed to transcend that boundary is just it's pretty incredible, uh, and, yeah. and it, it really was the future of the team. I mean, you could feel it coming. I mean, the, what was it before? Well, two days before, two days after was when we drafted Bryce Harper. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, so it was Jan- June seventh of yeah. twenty ten. They drafted Harper, yeah. and June eighth of twenty ten, Strasburg made his debut. Yeah, you could really feel, you know. This tide shifting with its franchise, and yeah. lo and behold, two years later they made a playoffs. But it seemed so much farther off than that, yeah. at, even at that moment. Like I did not see them contending in 2011 or 2012. Uh, I remember being super excited in 2012 when ESPN, the magazine, picked them to win the inaugural second wild card, yeah. and I was just shocked that a team might, you know, a national team might even sniff contention. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was just. It was an amazing event, and Johnny brought up a, an interesting point off air, uh, which was, uh, you know, if he doesn't get hurt in that August, what ends up happening? Does the hype keep going? I mean, it, it was insane. The, you know, the, this what really sticks with me even more than the first start is the second start that Strasburg made on the road when he managed to draw. I mean, the, the Cleveland Indians were drawing something like nineteen thousand, uh, and he managed to exceed that by like 10,000 on his uh, on his start day. Uh, you know, my question is, if he doesn't get hurt in 2010, does the hype train keep going? Does it keep building? And, you know, does he keep drawing these insane crowds? Uh, and, you know, are each of his starts still an event? Yeah. Uh, but it's mm-hmm. possible to know. Yep. So that's 2010. Um, you know, besides that, kind of a whatever year. I mean, Strasburg got hurt and that kind of was the end of the excitement of the season. Yeah. Um, but then 2011, um, you know, Nats 
you know, got close to 500, finishing at 80 and 81. Mm-hmm. Um, that was Michael Morse's breakout year. He was the team in home runs with 31, was second to Danny Espinosa, 21. Team leader in win was John Lannon with 10 wins. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, probably the team's best starter that year was Jordan Zerman, who was on an innings limit. Um, foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. Um, coming off Tommy John surgery. So, but that was a season that you can kind of start seeing the Nationals. Um, the core coming together. The core coming together. Now, uh, obviously that was the first year with Jason Worth. Um, Very disappointing year for Worth. Right. It was shocking to me how quickly he became a fan favorite given his season in 2011 where uh, I remember it was a game against the Rockies. The Nats were down one. It was first and third, one out, bottom of the ninth. And literally the only thing he couldn't do was ground into a double play. And everyone in the ballpark seemed to know he was going to do that. And he did. Uh, and he was just met with this chorus of boos. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's interesting, though, to say that this was, you could kind of see the core coming together because a lot of this team, offensively speaking, was not all that good. I mean, Desmond was still really bad at this point. I mean, the next year was his come-together breakout year. But he had a 60S OPS plus this year. Um, yeah. Adam LaRoche only played a very little Jason Worth. The one Jason Worth moment I remember is when he decided to start coming out without any walk-up music mm-hmm. to kind of fix himself. Right. Um, didn't work. Well, he also got Jim Riggleman fired. Yeah. Uh, which is exciting. Uh, so I think my favorite moment of that year was there was a game against the White Sox. Uh, it was the first post-Riggleman game. It was managed by John McLaren. Uh, and it was a nothing-nothing game into the eighth, and uh, it ended up being nine-five in fourteen innings. And John McLaren, managing one of only his three games as Nats manager, managed to get himself ejected. Uh, and there were like lead changes, and it was just a, you know, it was a fun game. This team was very interesting in that it didn't really have a lot of star power. Uh, the star power was about a year off uh, with Strasburg missing. You know, the entire season except September. And with Harper still, he was a 19-year-old or 18-year-old kid playing in Hagerstown and Harrisburg. You would see articles of Bryce Harper, like, kissing, running the bases. Kissing oh, yeah, blowing a kiss. The pitcher. I completely forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, and everyone's like, oh, this kid, he needs to grow up. Right. Uh, but it was, a, it was a fun year where there were absolutely no expectations. And the fact that they managed to get to 80 and 81 – I remember there was a, a sweep of the Phillies in September of 2011 that got me very excited about 2012. Uh, it was just, you know, sort of the last year of no expectations. Yeah. I mean, my, my favorite moment for this season was on June 21st, 2011, mm-hmm. when the Nats down 5 nothing, came back in the bottom of the ninth, the game we were at and we left early because you hurt your foot beforehand. Yes. But uh, before the game. Um, <laughs> but... Um, well, that was the game Wilson Ramos hit the three-run homer to beat the Mariners 6-5 to in what was, at that moment, the biggest comeback in Washington Nationals history in, in the ninth inning. inning. And not anymore. Nope. Obviously. Uh, right. But because of a different catcher who had a walk-off home run. Right. So we're going to go into 2012 now. Nats uh, were 98-64. and yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, they made the playoffs. They lost in the NLDS in five games. To the I don't remember four Cardinals. games of that series. Yep, I'm pretty sure they canceled the season after they went up 6 nothing in the third. In- I, you know what? We don't have to make those jokes anymore. No. We have the World Series championship. Yeah, screw it. Uh, Adam LaRoche led the team in home runs with 33. Team leader in wins as also the uh, National League leader in wins that year. It was Gio Gonzalez with 21. I remember when it was 20th game that season, they tailed against the Brewers, they taped a bunch of uh, $20 bills in his locker. I remember also in that game that uh, he fell down on the mound. Yes, I remember uh, And it looked like he was dead for a while. Uh, that was an instance of fun, Gio. Mm-hmm. Uh, but probably the biggest storyline from this season, you know, besides uh, the two big storylines, is first in war, first in peace, first in the NL East. Right. Which was the Nationals' first season ever being good. I it mean, was... They, they pretty much led... Wire to wire, the whole season. Yep, uh, um, they they didn't trail in the division. They weren't even tied uh, after the late after late May. Mm-hmm. Uh, the closest they came to blowing it was in July, when uh, they lost the first two in a series against the Braves. 
uh, and then John Lennon saved the season. Yes, he did. I mean, that, that first game, that Friday night game, mm-hmm. was... Uh, they blew a 9 nothing lead. Yes, um, which was uh, pretty bad. Not but fun. then John Lennon came back on the next day with a doubleheader. Mm-hmm. We lost the first game. John Lennon pitched the second game with a doubleheader and uh, right. saved the season. Right. Thank but, you, John Lennon. But obviously, he does not. Lennon was the you know, secondary part of the major storyline of the year, which was the Strasbourg shutdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think with the benefit of hindsight, it is sort of hard to... I mean, there is no doubt in my mind that Steven Strasburg, if he hadn't been handled the way he was handled, would not be the pitcher he is today. No. I mean, you look at the other pitchers who have had Tommy John surgery and teams have kind of pitched through it. Chris Medlin, um, Matt Harvey. Right. Uh, I mean, those two are the probably the biggest. Uh, Chris Medlin especially because he's the one Strasburg getting compared with constantly. Right. Um, Where the Braves limited his innings in 2013, but they did it uh, – or no, in 2012, excuse me. But they did it in a creative way where they had him relieve for the first half of the season and then start for the second half. Uh, it didn't seem to work. And obviously there are tons of unknowable factors there. The point is, Steven Strasburg is healthy now at the end of the decade, probably because of the way he was handled at the beginning of the decade. Uh, he thinks, I mean, you can tell that he thinks that too. I mean, from right. the way he was um, right. signing a uh, press conference. But, I mean... <laughs> There is a, I mean, to say this, that the Nats did mortgage that season to an extent for future seasons. Uh, and obviously, you know, eventually it succeeded. Steven Strasburg was the biggest reason why they won the World Series this year. But at the same time, who knows what could have happened in 2012 had they let him pitch. I mean, yeah, on the one hand... You can look at the Mets, too. I mean, the Mets were in a very similar kind of boat in 2015 as the Nats were. They had a good young core. Right. I mean, their young core is they're starting pitching. The Nats had a good young core of offensive players. Right. As long as well with some good starting pitching. I mean, they, they had the hardest throwing staff in baseball that year. Um, but the Mets in 2015, they decided to go for it. And they got to the World Series. They lost in five games. And then they haven't been even close since. Um because, I mean, they lost one of their big pieces in the rotation because of Matt Harvey. Had never been the same after that season. Right. Um, so you don't know. You, you can say, yeah, you don't know what the Nats Yeah, but if had the, had the Mets won the World Series in 2015, would you have considered what they did with Harvey worth it? I, mean, I don't know. It's he pitched phenomenally in the 2015 World Series. Yeah, but it's hard to say um, whether or not it's worth it because they, they didn't. I mean, well, yeah, and there's obviously no guarantee. Like the 2012... NLDS, the best starting pitching performance the Nats got was from uh, Ross, Detweiler. Ross Detweiler, who replaced Strasburg in the rotation. Uh, the one benefit is that Gio Gonzalez probably would not have started Game 5. Uh, and the truth is that Gio Gonzalez is in some way, shape, or form responsible for a lot of the Nats' heartbreak in the playoffs. Uh, and I don't think it's a coincidence that they won with him off the team. Which don't construe that as me hating Gio Gonzalez. I love Gio Gonzalez. But, but it helps to not have a guy who goes four innings with four runs in a playoff game. Yeah. Um, Walking a thousand. But obviously, the, the probably the best moment of 2012. I mean, you know, I'm going to say October 1st of 2012 when the Nats clinched a division. Mm-hmm. It was probably my favorite moment of that season. That was just like the we're here statement. Um kind of just, like, cementing the Nats as a team, as, like, we're ready to be a force to be reckoned with. Right. And it was, even though they lost that game, it was such a cool moment. Right. All right, so moving on to 2013, this is the first taste of disappointment for Nats fans. Uh, the Nats were picked by many, uh, I think the ESPN, I remember, had the, an article uh, asking whether or not the Nats could win 120 games. And uh, they didn't win 120 games. They didn't win 110 or 100 or 90. They won 86 games, uh, 86 and 76. They missed the playoffs. The team leader in home runs was Ryan Zimmerman with 26. Uh, The team leader in wins was Jordan Zimmerman with 19. Uh, Again, also tying for the league lead. Um, This was a a season where the Nats were still a fairly good team. I mean, 86 wins isn't terrible. It could have been a playoff team. 
were missed it. They were close at the end. They had this insane run, obviously, in August and September, but it was necessitated by uh, a terrible July and a terrible June that put them well behind the eight ball. I mean, they they came out and. I mean, it's hard to pick a favorite moment from this season because it was just, I would just say, you know, the entire month of September, maybe the, the double header that the Nats had where uh, in, in late September, I think September 18th against the Braves when they won game one on a Andrelton Simmons error and then won game two uh, to all the way back to eight games back of the uh, the Braves with like 10 games left. Uh, the point was that the Nats did their best work in this season in a situation where it was it all looked futile and all ended up being futile. I mean, one of the shining bright lights of the season was Jason Worth, who had his best season as a Nat that year. Yep. And probably one of the most memorable things from that season was, I mean, the, the image of Bryce Harper running face first into the wall at Dodger Stadium, which kind of, in a way, derailed the entire season from there. Uh, you know, it was, God, remember all that controversy about uh, after he ran in, he played for the rest of the, that, that road trip and for the rest of May, and uh, there was a play where he was approaching the wall in San Francisco and he didn't make the catch, and Rafael Soriano said something about how his four-year-old son could have caught that ball. I do remember that. Yeah, uh, there was a lot that happened in that 2013 season, but frankly, I mean, it, it was disappointing, but it wasn't infuriating in no. a way. Uh, other bad Nats seasons have been this decade, uh, and it was nice to see the team, you know, charge back and play like the team everyone thought they were, uh, even if they didn't end up making it all the way back. Yeah. Uh, so 2014. So moving on, the Nats that season that was probably their best season, um, arguably in the regular season. I would disagree. What 2012? I would say the 2017 team was the best team that they've had. I, don't know, I felt the best coming into the playoffs after the 2012-14 season. Could have been just because, you know... The Nets were insanely hot. They were insanely hot. I mean, they'd won 10 games in a row in August. They had a great September. Um, it was just, you know, the second half of that season, the Nets were just so hot. They finished the season with a record of... 96-66. and 96-66, and 66, as Jacob just said. I did. Um, their home run leader that year was Adam LaRoche with only 26, but that was 2014. Right, 26 home runs in 2014 was a lot. Yeah. Uh, team leader in wins that season was Doug Fister, mm-hmm. who was very good. 2-4-1 ERA that year. And that's had five stars with 10 wins or more. Yeah, uh, I mean, the rotation was great. I mean, it was there was enough offense, you thought, to get them there. Season ended with a Jordan Zimmerman no hitter. They had so much momentum going into the playoffs, and then I don't know what happened. I mean, they just came out so flat. They <sighs> scored nine runs in four games. In four games Giants. against the Giants, who were not a good team. No, we're talking about a rotation no. of later day Jake Peavy, later day Tim Hudson, Ryan Vogelsong after he was pretty much finished. Madison Bumgarner. Madison Bumgarner. The only pitcher the Nats beat that that uh, series. Right. Uh, and they only beat him on the strength of a couple Wilson, unearned runs. Wilson Ramos' bunting ability. Right. Wilson, uh, you have to do it. Yeah. It, I don't know. Obviously, the the pick for moment of the year in 2014 has to be the Jordan Zimmerman no-hitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could also go with the 10-game winning streak, which is just insane amounts of fun. The Nats had walk-offs and three consecutive games and five of the ten uh, that they played in that, that streak. I'm still waiting for Matt Williams to do his Babe Ruth impression. Someday, John. Someday. Uh, Isn't he managing now in, in Japan? Is he? I don't know. I think that's a thing. I just found out that Jim Zorn is coaching in the XFL, so uh, it's certainly possible that Matt Williams would be somewhere. I'll look it up. But uh, anyway, we can talk about this also in the 2015 season. Right. The... Revenge of Matt Williams. Uh, uh, that was yes. He's a uh, no. He's a manager of the Kia Tigers in the KBO league. The KBO. That's yes, nice. Yes. I'm sure he's having a wonderful time in Korea. Well, he just got hired. So this season, the 2015 season, the Bryce Harper show. Yes, number one at Bryce Harper and Max Scherzer first half. Yes. And then nobody else. Uh, that that team with 
arguably one of the best offensive seasons in Major League history. Finished with 83 at 83 and 79. Mm-hmm. The team leader in home runs was Bryce Harper with 42. Next was next team leader runner up, I guess, was 19 home runs from Ian Desmond, who, despite the 19 home runs, was terrible that year. Yeah, it was a terrible season. Uh, and um, obviously, the team leader in wins was Max Scherzer, 14. Uh, he was amazing in the first half, amazing in the last three or so games of the second half. And uh, basically, as the entire team went to shit, so did Max Scherzer. Yeah, I mean, probably the biggest, the my my favorite moment from the season was I'm gonna say, um, I, well, I don't remember the date, but it was after it was in May. It was after Bryce Harper had had a three game stretch where he hit three home a three homer game, a two homer game, and then it was uh, May 10th, uh, three homer game, two homer game, and then he had a walk off against the Braves. Uh, six home runs in three games, including a walk-off home run, um, was just kind of like him saying, like, this is my season type thing. It kind of was a flip, that's a switch that turned on for him and yeah. kind of carried him from there on out. Because yeah. up until that moment, he had didn't he had the walk numbers. He was like – he was in like 280 with a 420 OBP. And then from there on out – You mean in April out, of, of that year? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those – that month of May for Bryce Harper, let me see if I can figure out. Uh, I mean, I know that, that was, yeah, I mean, you look at those numbers from that season was just mind boggling, but the month of May that he had was particularly, so in May he hit 360, 495, 884, uh, with 13 home runs yeah. in one month. Uh, and this was pre juice ball. Yeah. Uh, they didn't juice it until late July of that year. Mm-hmm. His, uh, SOPS, his SOPS, which is SOPS plus, I mean, which is his OPS plus relative to the rest of the league for that stat, uh, was 279. He was 279% better than the league average over uh, that May stretch. It's crazy. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and you know what? Another amazing thing about that was Babbitt in that month was the lowest he'd have that entire season. Crazy. It's crazy. Uh, but obviously that's not the story of 2015. No, the story of 2015 is the Nationals from July 31st onwards. I mean, after trading for Jonathan Papelbon, Drew yes. Storen decided to throw a hissy fit and <laughs> uh, decided to implode on the season. Uh, I mean, I'm sure it was also Jonathan Papelbon's fault for being a just a giant asshole. I mean, it's the interesting thing, the difference between 13 and 15. In 2013, the Nets didn't seem to have any major injuries. They just struggled. Uh, And depth was an issue, but depth was an issue mostly off the bench. Uh, In 2015, they had all these huge injuries. Mm -hmm. They lost Worth. They lost Zimmerman for extended periods of time. Uh, But they managed to weather them. And then almost as soon as all of those players got back, that was when the season started to crater. Obviously, the combination of missing on Jonas Cespedes and the Mets getting him also yeah. played into it. And then the Nats, you know, cheaping out on a... The Nats had a problem that year where they really only had one functional reliever. And he was great. It was Drew Storen. Uh, but it was a combination of the fact that the only good relievers that were available wanted to close, and Mike Rizzo perhaps not trusting Drew Storen so much, uh, that uh, caused them to get a proven closer TM in Jonathan Papelbon. And, he, and he wasn't bad for the team that year to 304 ERA in 22 games. No. Uh, but it's not the problem. Right. The problem was when after Jonathan Papelbon was acquired, Drew Storen absolutely imploded. When So you went from having one very good reliever to having one pretty good reliever and one guy who is an active liability. Yeah. Both in the clubhouse and, I mean, I, I, I swear to God, I've never seen a player do what Drew Storm did. No. Uh, and it's unconscionable. And it, it's, you know, the amazing thing was that he had defenders. And there were people who, who excused his behavior. And because Jonathan Papelbon was a dick. But, you know, that's, the last image from that season is Jonathan Papelbon. Strangling Bryce Harper the day after they get eliminated. Yeah. Uh, and then just so many iconic, angry moments from that season. Uh, Michael Taylor misplaying that ball in center. Um, Jason Worth. Jason Worth. When exactly do you think you lost this team? 
He's uh, our closer. He's our closer. I mean, Matt Williams was so far over his head with that team. That team had so many loud personalities. I mean, it's a testament to the 2019 team and a testament, by the way, to Davey Martinez for cultivating a 2019 team like this. Just looking at... 2015 is a polar opposite. Right. Looking at what Matt Williams managed to do with a team that on paper was insanely talented. You look at the rotation, it didn't even have enough room for Tanner Roark because you had Scherzer, Zimmerman, Strasburg, Gonzalez, I mean, that, yeah, that was the first season you signed Max Scherzer, and it's time you don't needed to sign Max Scherzer. I mean, it was... Right. That was Scherzer. The idea behind signing Scherzer was he was going to replace Jordan Zimmerman, mm-hmm. uh, but that was the year you had both of them. I mean, where's my ring? Yeah, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Plus Joe Ross. Yeah. A team was like seven deep in quality starting, starting pitching. pitching, and it didn't matter. Nope. Just, I mean, it, it boggles the mind even now to like think about how that team was not successful. Yeah. So let's move on. Uh, 2016. Nationals won uh, 95 games. 95 games that year. The first year of the Dusty Baker administration. And that was a team that, you know, was married by a lot of injuries, but was still able to yeah, uh, get big performances out of guys like Daniel Murphy, who had an MVP-like performance. Trey Turner, when he got called up, was incredible for the team that year. Yep. Finished second. They both finished second, I mean, Turner, Rookie of the Year, and Murphy in MVP voting. Um, Scherzer won a Cy Young that year. I mean, there was a lot of good things happening up to that team. I mean, Wilson Ramos had his, uh, his first all-star season that year. And then within a few weeks in September, it kind of all came crashing down when you lost both Ramos and Strasburg. Yeah. And it kind of, you were like heading into the playoffs that year. You're like, well, this is definitely not the strongest, str- the strongest this team could be. And yet they still played a very good playoff series against the Dodgers that they lost in a very frustrating way um, and a very typical Nats way up to that point. But it's, it's hard to really get to... They played a very good series. They outplayed the Dodgers that series. Yeah. Uh, and if it weren't for insane heroics from Kenley Jansen, who threw two and a third scoreless innings in... Uh, in game five and you know Clayton Kershaw coming back on zero days rest to manage to get those last two outs they would have won that series mm-hmm. uh, so the team leader in home runs that year was Daniel Murphy with 25 25 team leaders and wins was Max Scherzer with 20 um, he had I mean you could say he had a better season than the season prior but Still very good that year. Tanner Roark well, had his he won best. the Cy Young that year. Yeah, won the Cy Young that year. Tanner Roark had arguably his best season in his career. Yep. 283 ERA that year and 34 starts. And Steven Strasburg won his first 13 decisions. He was looking great uh, until he started to have elbow problems. Uh, and that really derailed his season. And that derailed really the Nats season. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, there were a lot of great moments. Obviously, the, the best moment. Uh, you would say would be Max Scherzer's twenty strikeout game. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, uh, you were there. I was not. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I mean, this is a team that, for a time, looked to be among the most talented uh, that the Nats would have, and one of the best shots they would have at winning a title because there wasn't. I mean, the. the the Cubs were the best. The team Cubs were the best team that year, but if you remember, there was a series in 2016 in uh, June when both teams were at full strength, where the Nats played three terrific, amazing games against the Cubs, uh, and you just you thought this team could do it if they stay healthy, and they just couldn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was a testament to Dusty Baker, and, and 2017, which we'll get to in a second, was even more so because the Nats had. Maybe not as debilitating injuries, uh, but they certainly had more of them. Uh, and I think we'll talk about 2017 now. Yeah. Uh, so in 2017, the Nats went 97 and 65. They were unchallenged essentially 
after April. <laughs> April, yeah, it was kind of a cakewalk of a season. Yeah, uh, team leader in home runs, Brian Zimmerman with 36. Yeah, and good for him, his last good season. It was, I mean, the season that came out of nowhere, yeah. and that was what made it so fun. Uh, team leader in wins with Max Scherzer, you may be. Also want to say on that year. Yep. But that was also a great season for Gio Gonzalez, who had his best season since 2012 that year. In Strasburg in 28 starts had two five two ERA. Right. I mean, that team had he a, was amazingly good down the stretch. That team had a legit three headed monster in that rotation. And yep. It was probably the best three pitchers the Nats have had ever. Yeah. Um, they well, had, I don't know about that. I would this year. I would say this year because they had a third starter who didn't melt down. In the, any sign of distress. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. But, but um, yeah, they had a great season from Zim. Harper was very good again that year. But Harper got hurt. But the key moment of that season was when Harper slipped on the base against the Giants after a rain delay. Right. Um, what looked to be an incredibly gruesome injury for him. But while he was having an MVP season, uh, he ended up coming back and hitting a home run in the playoffs. A really big home run. But he wasn't the same player. I mean, another a great. I mean, that's this season had four nationals and by OPS over nine hundred. Yep, nine tw- over nine twenty five. Three all star starters, mm-hmm. yeah, four actually, including Max Scherzer. Yep. Uh, so, I mean, it was this team was stacked, and they also had a great deal of injuries. And Dusty Baker mitigated those injuries. He played. I mean, if you remember, guys like Brian Goodwin, Goodwin was. Very solid that year. Hit very well. OPS. He played Wilmer Defoe. He had a, Adam Lind. When the Nats were going through their real injury problems in July, uh, he had a <laughs> stretch where he played uh, both Wilmer Defoe and Adrian Sanchez in the two hole, and it just seemed to work because uh, Dusty had magic that year. And it's just, I don't know, this would have been a really fun team to see go all the way. It was the last year with Jason Worth. Uh, it just, it's a shame it didn't work out, yeah. uh, especially for Dusty, because Dusty Baker... That was know, probably going to be his last chance. It was his last best chance to, to win a World Series, and now he can't get anyone to call him back. Uh, despite the fact that he is the only manager in Nats history to make the playoffs in two consecutive years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, there were a lot of, there were eight managerial openings this year, and the only one that seriously considered Dusty Baker was the Phillies, and they went in a different direction. So it's just it's sad to see that it never worked out for Dusty. Uh, and this would have been a really fun team. And arguably, and I would say, the most talented team the Nets have ever had. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, you know, all the guys got healthy at the right time. They just they just didn't perform. Uh, and I mean, it was, they, it was a weird series, too. Because the first half, they just didn't get the hits. Um, and then in the game five, it was... Just a lot of fluke things not going the Nats' way. And that started that changed this year. I mean, you really know that in the playoffs, things have to go your way. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's – so I would say there are two big moments I would point to in this season. Either the 23-5 to game against the Mets in April, which for all intents and purposes sealed the division. Yep. Uh, or I would also point to – Game four of the NLDS when Steven Strasburg had his mold game. Uh, looked like, for all the world, like he wasn't going to start up until midway through the day. Uh, they announced he was going to start, and he threw the game of his life. 12 strikeouts, uh, no runs, seven innings, no walks. And then Michael Taylor hit the grand slam. Right. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's hard to say that that was really that great a moment when it was followed up by Game 5, which yeah. is as excruciating a playoff loss as the Nats have ever had. Yep. Uh, yep. Well, then there was 2018. Very unremarkable year. Just just so disappointing. And this is the only season where the Nats, you know, they had that amazing May, but it just, by the end of June, it seemed like the season was over. Yeah. Uh, so there just, it wasn't much to get mad about. I mean, the 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 worst part was just Bryce Harper just sandbagging the entire season. Yeah, you could tell he wasn't trying. He wasn't giving his all effort. He didn't really give a shit. Yeah, and I mean, it's hard to ascribe. Like, I don't know. I'm I'm not a big fan of making up personal narratives behind players, but it but sure seemed from watching him like he was making a lot of business this season. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't. I mean, you could. His, there's a reason why his defensive numbers went way up this year. Yeah. 
I mean, so it didn't end up mattering for him because no. he ended up getting the contract he wanted. Yeah. Uh, and he ended up hitting in the second half by the time the season was already over. Yeah, uh, I would say that obviously the, the biggest moment and the biggest uh, plus for the Nats this season, 2018, was the emergence of Juan Soto. Yeah. And I mean, it's going to be remarkable to tell people in like 10 years there's a lineup of Juan Soto, Bryce Harper, and Anthony Rendon. Right. And that the team that had that lineup went 82 and 80. Yep. Uh, just, I, I mean, that was a very winnable division. The Braves snuck in with 90 wins. Uh, it was just, I mean, it, it was disappointing, but in a way that, you know, the 2015 season was the only season where I've really been enraged by the end of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, I mean, it seemed like Davey was over his head. It seemed like nothing he was doing would, would work. Well, and you know, a lot of that was on him. He was really struggling to get relievers to buy into I mean he he broke Ryan Madsen earlier in the season he you know kind of mutiny on his hands right where Brandon Kinsler was leaking you know his on his displeasure with uh with Davies managerial style to the media he's doing it in very nice terms but being very frank uh and then Sean Kelly threw a temper tantrum and that got two guys you know that the Nats really needed uh kicked off the team Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it's the only season that the Nets have had in the past uh, you know eight that they've actually been sellers at the deadline yeah uh, but I don't know uh, after this season you know you talk about teams being sort of in year three of a two year window like they talked about with the Cavs mm-hmm. but the Nets lost Bryce Harper uh you know, they added Patrick Corbin. They made a lot of moves that made them better. And arguably, you could argue that they looked better on paper at the beginning of 2019 than they did definitely at the end of 2018. I wouldn't argue that they looked better on paper at the beginning of 2019 than they did at the beginning of 2018. Um, I would. You could make that argument at the beginning because you had Juan Soto with Bryce Harper. But you also had Daniel Murphy. That's true. In 2018. I mean, uh, I mean, you had I mean, Brian Dozier, but right. Well, you didn't know that Murphy would miss, yeah, large portions of the season. He also had better catching. Yeah, um, that's true. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know. I think it's close. And that brings happened? us to 2019. We also did the home run leader and win leader from this year. Ah, the home run leader. 2018 was Bryce, Bryce Harper with 34, matching his number. The wins leader was Max Scherzer, 18. Finishing second in the Cy Young voting. Right. He had probably the best season of his career. Yeah, just Jacob DeGrom. Was even better. Yeah. Uh, and, and then 2019. What's that thing on the top? I can't read that. What's it say next to the year? National League pennant? No, above that. I can't read it. World Series champions. Amazing. Wait, 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 wait. wait. So you're telling me the 2019 Washington Nationals. So, Doc, so Doc, you're telling me that the Washington Nationals won the 2019 World Series? That's heavy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, this is a pretty good season. <laughs> what was your favorite moment from this season? My favorite moment from this season was when uh, the media called for David Martinez to be fired. Yes. I like that. And he proved all of them wrong by yes. doing mostly the same stuff he'd already been doing. And then it somehow worked. Yeah. I mean, this season was, I mean, you know how this season went. It just happened. Right. Uh, um, and I think it's, uh, as as Charlie Slows said, uh, you know, capping a season that we will remember for the rest of our lives. Well, we're not at the rest of our lives yet. It's been two months. So uh, I figure you probably remember what happened. Yeah. But team home run leader this year, Juan Soto and uh, Anthony Rendon tied with 34. Right. And wins leader was Strasburg with 18. First time he's ever led the team in wins. Good for him. Yeah. I mean, now that we've done it, kind of, we don't really need to do anything about this season. We've, t- we've talked plenty about this season. Right. But, but I, I do want to at- say that I think my favorite moment of the year was Game 5, even more so than Game 7. My favorite moment was uh, Game 1 of the NLCS. Really? I love – just that was the most fun I think I had watching a playoff game because it felt like you're just the most house money game you could have had. Mm-hmm. You were just watching it, and you were like, no way this is happening. There's no way this is happening. Anibal Sanchez is mowing down the Cardinals just in pure, just 
I just, domination. That whole series. How do you hold the team over a four-game series, a playoff series, to a 130 batting average? I don't know. It's um, It really is. Yeah, that's that's one of those statistics that's going to stick in my head forever. Yeah, but I think game one of the NLCS, I was watching with some friends. I was out at a bar, and I was just we were all just watching. We were just like, "What the hell is happening right now?" Yeah, I, I think because also you know we were missing Daniel Hudson that game, and I felt you feel like oh, game one of seven game series, it's okay if they lose this game, especially without Daniel Hudson. It's seven games, um, but it kind of just. That was the only way they could win that game if they, because they only had one reliever. Yeah. Uh, the only way they could win that game was either by scoring a whole bunch of runs or by having Anibal Sanchez go more than seven innings. And, and he went seven so, two-thirds. I just... With no hits. <laughs> there were so many things that had to go right, and this is sort of as a contrast to the rest of the decade. So many things that had to go right for the Nats to manage to, to have this happy ending that they had. They needed to... You know, in in the wild card game, the ball needed to take a weird hop on Trent Grisham, who was charging too aggressively. Uh, in the NLDS in Game Five, uh, everything from Dave Roberts making the decision to go to Kershaw to Dave Roberts making the decision to stay with Kelly to Will Smith hitting a ball that would be a home run in the regular season. That luckily the Ball got unjuiced, so it died at the warning track. Uh, you know, to the NLCS, basically every single thing going according to plan, where for a while it seemed like the Cardinals wouldn't be able to score unless the Nats wanted them to. Uh, and, and, you know, in the World Series, to, to win four games on the road like that, to... You know, have an Anthony Rendon fly ball immediately after, you know, game six, uh, having something go terribly wrong that wasn't the Nats' fault. Uh, ridiculous decision by the umpiring crew. To have the Nats respond the way that they did, have Anthony Rendon hit a ball that probably doesn't go out in any other ballpark, but there's an overhang at the Crawford boxes. You could say that also about some of the Astros' homework. No, I'm just saying, that, yeah. like, there was a lot that had to go right. The and... game seven... Howie Kendrick managing to, uh, I mean, squeak the ball over the fence and hit the foul pole to, I mean, you know, I just, I think you could tell just from recapping this decade for the Nats, you know, how things had just really not gone their way. Mm -hmm. And then finally it flipped. I, I think kind of just doing this decade in review, you see what needs to happen for a team to win a championship is just luck. Yeah, but I mean... It, the Nats got their championship, and and that's the thing that separates them from the, the Dodgers, the who, Yankees, the Yankees. I mean, these are teams that are incredibly well run. The Dodgers are are clearly the most talented team in the National League, even if they haven't done anything this offseason. Uh, but you know, there's that old Billy Bean line about how his shit doesn't work in the playoffs, and it's not a sense that you know the teams he builds can't win in the playoffs. It's just that. There is so much luck involved in, in a postseason series in a small sample of five or seven games that there's not much that you can do except hope and pray that the luck falls your way. And it did this year. And it finally did. Yeah. Uh, and so one last topic before we go. Uh, I guess uh, talking about the team of the decade. Yeah. Uh, I think there's an argument to be made for the Nats. Well, of course, there's an argument to be made for the Nats. I mean, they're they're the only they're the fourth best, fourth best record, right? Of the of any team in in baseball over this decade, they won a World Series, which two of the top four teams didn't, right? Yankees and Dodgers. Um, they've been one of the they've won through four divisions, right? Won the wild card, um, but I don't. I mean, you could, the Cardinals, they won, they made two World Series, won one. They won the NL Central, I think, four times off the top of my head, if I remember correctly. Uh, well, so they won the Wild Card in 12. 12. And 11. 11, 13, 14, and 15. 11, they won the Wild Card. Mm. They beat the Braves. Oh, it doesn't, doesn't actually matter, because it was 
Yeah. The old wild card system. Yeah. So 13, 14, and 15, they won the wild uh, the division. And 19. And so 19. four times. Four times. They went to the playoffs Made more the than... the playoffs six times. It was more than that. More than that's. I mean, so Cardinals, I'd argue, are more of a team of the decade than that. But are. I wouldn't argue that. I, I would say, in terms not just of success, but in how much they define the decade, that the Astros were the team of the decade. And they define the second half of the decade. No, though. they define the first and second half. They yeah. were the team that pioneered the hard tank and sort of... Yeah, but nobody talked about them. Oh, people talk constantly, talk, constantly talked about them and... You know, I'd still derided say derided them for their strategy. I'd still then say the team of the decade is the Giants. Well, they—I mean—they won the three World Series. They were the team of the first half of the decade. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then they asked for the team of the second half of the decade. Right, and it, there are two very distinct decades. This—I mean, it's periods this decade, and that's—I mean—that's true with the run environment too. Yeah, uh, I mean, from 2014, 2015, and halfway through 2015, it changed at right. the All Star break. Yeah. Um, two very different styles of baseball this decade. Yeah, I just I think that, and you can make the argument that the Astros were the reason why the styles changed. No, I mean what the the, the reason why not the styles changed, but the league changed. Right, that's that's what I'm arguing. Yeah, like for all the the Giants did, I don't know that they made any lasting changes to baseball this decade the way that the Astros did. Yeah. Uh, so the the argument that I would be making for the Nats uh, is more than just regular season success and postseason success is the amount of moments that they've had, amount of unique moments. First of all, they've had two Cy Young Award winning winners, uh, or well, one guy who won it twice. Mm-hmm. They've had the second best pitcher of the decade. They had an MVP. They've had the best offensive season in the National League yeah, of the decade. Yeah, well, Betts and Trout. Uh, but you know, more than that, uh, they also had a guy who was – Really, as close as we're going to come in recent days to a face of baseball, regardless of his talent, uh, you know, I feel like Bryce Harper has the, the biggest Q score of any baseball player still playing right now. Uh, they had all that. They had Strasburg, who, as we said, had all this crossover appeal. Uh, it's just, you know, they had all these moments uh, and a lot of unique national moments that sort of got the focus of baseball on them, uh, which is really cool. I mean, again, I wouldn't make this argument, uh, but regardless of whether or not the Nats were the team of the decade, they were, you know, this was an incredible decade for them. And uh, I think we have a lot to be thankful for this decade. It was pretty great. Yeah. So hopefully for another great decade. Yep. The 2020s. I mean, I, I doubt it'll be as good as the 2010s, but uh, you know what? Frankly, it's just nice to have baseball in D.C. Yes. for another decade. Yes. And know that in 2029, we'll be able to do this again. If there is still baseball by then. Yeah. Eh, who knows? All right. All right. Till next year. Bye-bye.